Let's pray. God, thank you so much, God, for being so incredibly good. God, every one of us has sat out of that day, God, right, right where Mr. Troy was at, God. Lord, we may have never said that we wouldn't proclaim the name of Jesus, but in our hearts we had written you off, God. We were out living the life, living in the world, and our Savior, the Lord Jesus, was the farthest thing from our mind, but yet you kept a hedge of protection about us while we were out there in the world doing stuff we shouldn't have been doing. You, your heart was out there, your love was out there, and while we were yet sinners, Christ climbed up on that old rugged cross and died on our behalf to offer us a free gift that we can set in here tonight called redeemed, children of the living God, ransomed, joint heirs with king of kings. God, thank you so much for being so incredibly good. Thank you for even letting us come into your presence, into your throne room of grace, that we might obtain mercy. Thank you that we can come in and pray for the sick. Thank you that we can come in and make intercession on behalf of others and see your miracles and see your work and and see you intervene with cost and see you intervene with Michelle Pickles and, and make things better, God. And Lord, not just that you let us come into your throne room, but Father, even when we come in with our mumbling and our lack of ability to pray, the Holy Spirit makes intercession on our behalf with words that we don't even know how to speak. God, thank you so much for being absolutely everything we need and so much more. We love you, God. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Acts chapter 21, we left off last week. I'm going to reread a couple verses just to catch us up to pace, starting in verse number 31. As they went out about to kill him, they're talking about the apostle Paul. They've come in, and the crowd of the Jews has gathered him. They brought him out. They went out about to kill him. Tidings came to the chief captain of the band. All that Jerusalem was in an uproar, who immediately took soldiers, centurions, ran down under them. When they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating of Paul. Then the chief captain came near, took him, and commanded him to be bound with two chains, and demanded who he was and what he had done. And some cried one thing, and some another among the multitude. And when he could not know the certainty for the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle. So Paul has just been arrested. That's where we left off last week, where his life as a prisoner has begun. Now, now he, he, neither he nor, nor anyone else knew that this is, the, this is the beginning of a new way of life. This is the beginning of, of a new way of ministry. This is a whole nother step in how God is going to use the Apostle Paul. We've seen him use the Apostle Paul greatly, but this is, this is an entirely different life, an entirely different way of life, how it's going to be. This is the beginning of it. This is the arrest from this time on. Paul will be a prisoner, and it's from being a prisoner in chains and bonds that God is going to use the Apostle Paul to, to reach not just into Rome and not just take him to Rome, but in chains and bonds. He's going to use him and take him into Nero's house so that he's going to reach the, the ruler of all of Rome. And we left off looking at this fact. Sometimes what looks like a disaster in our life is just the beginning of God about to do something great. So, so... The tribune that calls him here, he's also the captain. He's the head of the Roman garrison. He asks the crowd, what has he done? He gets a normal mob response. They don't know. They're just mad. They just want somebody hurt. Somebody's got them mad. Somebody got their feathers all ruffled up and, and, and threw some salt on the tail feathers. Now they're all mad. So they don't really know. Some of them shouting one thing. Somebody's shouting something, something else. And, and, and all they know is that just somebody's got to pay. So verse number 35 says that when he came upon the stairs, so it was that he was born of the soldiers for the violence of the people. Now what that tells me, that seems to indicate they had already beaten him so bad that he can't climb the stairs. 
Now, you got to figure by the time they pulled him out and they're beating him and the captain of the guard hears about it and he gets the garrison of soldiers and comes in and breaks it up. That, that's been a pretty good while to beat on Paul. He, he's probably took a few kicks to the ribs. Whatever he's taken has obviously hurt him. He either can't climb the stairs at all or at least, at least he can't climb it at the pace that the soldiers want to because it says they borne him. It says that they carried him because of what the mob had, had done. So in verse 36, it says that the multitude of people followed after crying, away with him. Now, away with him is a pretty strong phrase to the Jewish people. Um, that, that, that means they want him put to death. 27 years before this date, the Jews stood at Pilate's hall and said, away with him. Away with him is a common phrase. Luke chapter 23 and verse 13, Pilate, when he had, get, when he had called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and said unto them, talking about Jesus, you, you brought this man unto me as one that perverted the people. Behold, I have examined him before you. I found no fault in this man, touching those things whereof you accuse him, nor, he, nor yet Herod. I sent you to him, and lo, nothing worthy of death is done. Verse number 16 says, I will therefore chastise him and release him. That's that, that part of the play. They beat him, but don't kill him. In verse number 17, it's just kind of a filling us in on the facts of their tradition. It says that of necessity, he must release one of them at the feast. But in verse number 18, they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man and release unto us Barabbas. So that away with us, they're, they're talking about take Paul and kill him. John chapter 19 is where the Jews formally rejected the Messiah in verse 13. Pilate therefore heard the saying, he brought Jesus forth, sat down in the judgment seat in a place that's called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And, and it was the preparation of the Passover about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. Verse number 15 of John chapter 19. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him. Crucify him. Pilate saith to them, Shall I crucify your king? Then the chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. That, that is the Jewish nation, the, the Jewish religious group. That is the Pharisees. That is their official rejection of Jesus Christ. They do not want him as their king. They make it clear, but they use the term away with him. Here in the Acts of the Apostles, we have the exact same response from, from the same Jewish mob, the same Jewish crowd, the same ones that, that was out there to try to get rid of Christ, the same ones just trying to get rid of Christians. And Paul teaching about Christ, he said, away with him. So by this time, it seems obvious from the text here that the captain has formed an opinion of who this man Paul must be. Because in verse number 37, it says that as Paul was led into the castle, he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee? Who said, Canest thou speak Greek? So, so, so Paul says, May I speak unto thee? And, and, and he, he says it in Greek. So the captain of the guard's a little caught off guard. See, he says, Art thou not, or, or art not thou that Egyptian which before these days madest an uproar and ledest out into the wilderness, 4,000 men that were murderers. So 
naturally, obviously, he has an opinion of who Paul is right here. And so I wanted to know who is it that he thinks he is. So a little bit of study, and there's actually quite a bit of information out there about this thought. And most scholars all agree, different historians, different scholars, theologians, they all give pretty much the same report. They all give different indications about this one fellow. They don't give him by name. But, but it talks about this group of people, this 4,000 men that's let out. This is a pretty well-recorded event. This is pretty well-recorded who he's talking about. They were called the Sicarii. They were Greek assassins. They, they, they were terrorists, if you will. And, and their leader was a false prophet who claimed to be somewhat like a Messiah. He claimed that he would take over, that he would do some things. He claimed that, that he would come to Jerusalem. What he'd do, he'd come in, he'd get a mob stirred up, and anybody on his side, they would kill several people. And, and, and then the, most everybody, the theologians, they had this certain curved knife that they used and stabbed people in a way. So that was kind of like the traditional way they did things. One of the most notable murders was that of Jonathan. He's a former high priest, son of, of Annas. So, so this is all a pretty well-known deal. But the, the Egyptian that the captain refers to there in verse 38, he is the leader of the Sakari. Now, now, Governor Felix had gotten word, and he sent a company of soldiers down because they heard about this group of men. He sent them down there to take care of it, and many of them were arrested. I found one that said 200 were arrested and 400 were killed, and some say different numbers and vary. But he, here in this text, it says that there were 4,000 led out in the wilderness. There's obviously a lot of them, but one thing that, they, that we know happened is that that Egyptian leader, whoever that false prophet is, that guy got away. So, so part of the lie that he told was that he was going to make the walls of Jerusalem fall down at his command. This is part of his false prophet, what he claims to do. And, and that they're going to take over the city and they're going to overthrow Rome. and They'd no longer be under Roman rule. Now, obviously, from the captain's statement, he assumes that that's who Paul is. Paul is that man, and the reason the mob is so angry and want to kill him is because he didn't do what he said he was going to do. Not only did he do what he said he was not do what he said he was going to do, but but he ran when when the Romans did get there, and he escaped, and many others were arrested and killed. But but Paul Paul messes up his whole theory right here because one thing that was known about that Egyptian is the same as with most troublemakers. It's the same with most people that go and stir up riots. They're, they're loudmouths. They're, they're troublemakers. They have no respect for authority. They have no respect for law. They're going to mouth off to the soldiers. They're going to say their stuff. They're going to speak their peace. But Paul is, is a very polite gentleman type of person. Not only that, he is a very educated man. He's not a lunatic like those guys usually are. He's, he's not uncivilized. He, and Paul, Paul is everything except what the captain of the guard expected him to be. So, so it caught the, the captain of the guard off guard when he spoke Greek, but, but he's also he's caught off guard by Paul's politeness with this captive. Now, the, the, re, the reason I'm looking at the reason that, that that's important is because there is never a time when, when your actions, if you handle things in a Christ-like manner, there is never a time in our life that our actions won't catch somebody off guard. There is never a time that a Christ-like response to a worldly situation will not catch the world off guard. They know how the world handles it. They know how they think it ought to be handled, how they think, but, but they're caught off guard by kindness. They're caught off guard by love. They're caught off guard by generosity. They're caught off guard uh, by forgiveness because those are signs of Christ. 
And, and the world doesn't understand those things. So, so he, he's caught off guard here by this response. And, and he says, you speak Greek? Um, I mean, you, 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 got, you got multiple languages? And this, this particular passage, this whole passage of scriptures right here, this is, this is a major turning point in the Apostle Paul's life because we see, we see the hand of God in everything. This is, this is a, everything is different. I mean, from, from Saul of Tarsus to the Apostle Paul was a major turning point. And, and we'll look at that in, in a little bit. But that was a major turning point. That's where he became Paul. That's where he met Jesus. And then we know that he went and he did some things with the apostles for a while, Jerusalem for a while, and at, at a church for a while. And now he's been a, a missionary, a whole different sect. And now, now there's a whole nother, another way of life coming. But what we can see in the apostle Paul is exactly true in our life. God has no respect for a person. What he does for one, he'll do for all. And what we see is even those situations change. Change, even those Paul's circumstances change, God's use for him doesn't change. God still has a, a plan. Now, the Jews, they try to kill Paul. The Romans have arrested Paul. We'll see in a minute, they, they plan to beat Paul. But when it's all said and done, here's what happens. In a nutshell, God uses the Roman army to save the apostle Paul from the Jews. God uses the Roman army to, to protect the apostle Paul. God uses the Roman army to feed him, to clothe him, to transport him to Rome by, by way of an island where he led some, some, some barbarians to the Lord. God used Rome to get his servant to Rome to put him in Nero's house so he could preach the gospel to the leader of Rome. Ain't God amazing? So, so Paul, he asked, can he speak to the mob? The captain says, well, aren't, aren't you that... Egyptian, aren't you that troublemaker? And Paul said, I'm a man, which I'm a Jew of Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, a city of no, of no mean city. And I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people. Paul says, no, sir, I'm, I'm, I'm not that guy. I'm not even an Egyptian. I'm, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus. Now, see, that's a pretty big deal because Tarsus is, is a Gentile city, and, and, and they are very much in tune with Rome. They are very respectful of Rome. Matter of fact, they, they give so much allegiance to Rome that they're allowed to govern themselves. They don't even have Roman influence like the Jews do here with this Roman army over them. So, so it's very important that he tells them he was there. Now, now I, I would tend to believe that, that the captain right here probably was amazed when the apostle Paul stepped up and held up his hand over this mob and the murmur began to quieten down. And it got down to just one or two that were still left mad and it got down to complete silence. I mean, the captain of the guard's got to be feeling pretty good about this because he can't allow a riot in the city streets, right? It's against Roman law and he's responsible. So in verse number 40, we see this, this is what... This is what speech guided by the Holy Spirit looks like. This is kind of where the Scripture says, don't plan what you're going to say. You just go there and trust on the Holy Spirit to speak. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit just guides you. He didn't, he didn't have a prepared speech and a teleprompter up there to sit there and look into the camera and look like he remembered all that stuff that he's just putting out because somebody put it together for him and he's reading it for the second time because he's proved it once. No, this is just the Apostle Paul talking to a group of people. 
This is just him sharing his heart, but more importantly, this is the Holy Spirit speaking to these people. It says when he had given, when they had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with the hand unto the people, and there was made a great silence. He spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying, so see, now Paul changes. Paul, Paul, Paul's over here speaking, and he gets the attention of, of the captain of the guards, but he's fixing to speak to some Hebrew-speaking people. Now, it's a different sect of Hebrew. The original Hebrew language is dying out. I'm not going to get into all that because it's really not that important for, for our text. It, it is what it is. This, this is the sect of the Hebrews. And he says, men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. So we see the calmness of the Holy Spirit in his voice. I mean, you just keep me in the rest, be it may rest in me. I, I, I'm, I'm not quite that calm. And I sure ain't starting out with brethren. Hey, 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 joker. You know what I mean? So, so you see right off that the Holy Spirit begins to talk to him. He, he begins to try to make this connection with the people. He calls them brethren. That, that's a family tie. And then he calls them men and fathers. Those are complimentary names. So he's, he, he's, he's putting things. He's, he's, very, he's very educated. Paul is a very intelligent man. He's very well trained as a rabbi. Paul knows the scriptures very well. He knows that Proverbs 15 says that a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. He knows that the next verse says the tongue of the wise uses knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. So Paul opens up with kindness. Paul opens up with, with, with a soft answer and then it begins to speak to them in the hebrew language making a connection now, if there's any disadvantage is that these roman guards and the captain of the guard they don't understand what he's saying they know he's talking and he knows they're listening he don't know what he's telling but it all seems pretty good right now everything's quiet verse number two of, of chapter 22 it says that when they heard that he spake in the hebrew tongue to them they kept the more silence and he saith. I'm verily a man, which I'm a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, and was zealous toward God as ye all are this day. I told you being born in Tarsus was important to, to the Roman guard, but it's also important in helping the Jews understand something here. He is a Jew, but he's born in a Gentile city. These are called Hellenistic Jews. And, and the Hellenistic Jews, they, they are a lot more understanding. They, they, they are a lot more open-minded when it comes. They're, they're not that legalistic door shut case when it comes to the Gentiles. There's a lot more freedom of mind, a lot more things there. So, so Paul put, puts out that, oh, that, that might explain why he was traveling with some Jews. That might explain why he has, I mean, why he was traveling with some Gentiles. That might explain why he has such a heart for the Gentiles to come to know Christ. Maybe that explains why he has this heart like he has. But, but, but then, it, then he touches every Jew. He says that, I was brought up, I was trained in the way by none other than Gamaliel himself. See, Gamaliel was one of the most respected Jewish leaders that there was. Everybody there, everybody present, everybody in the sound of his voice, and the ones that couldn't hear knew who Gamaliel was. So, so well respected, and Paul says, I am a trained rabbi by none other than Gamaliel. I, I, I know all about the law. 
He makes a statement that should have touched every Jew present, the ones that were still, because they were all still caught up in Judaism. That's their part. He says, taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers and was zealous toward God as ye all are this day. Verse number four, I persecuted this way unto death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. Also the high priest doth bear me witness in the estate of the elders. From whom also I received letters unto the brethren, went to Damascus to bring them which were there, bound unto Jerusalem for to be punished. So, so Paul's not proud of his past, but he can't change his past. Anybody say amen? Paul, Paul, Paul's not bragging about his past. He's not being boastful of his past. He, he's not proud, but, but he's just like you and I. He can't change our past. But thank God our past is our past, and the past has passed. Thank God my past is not my present. Paul, so, so Paul says, I, I had a, a past, and, and, and this is it. I was the chief persecutor of the church. I was the Sanhedrin council's hitman. I was sequel, secret servant agent for the Sanhedrin. I'm the dude. I'm the guy in the black suit and tie with all the, with all the auto weapons. I'm the one that went out looking for the church. I'm the one that went out looking for the Christian. I'm the one that brought them back and killed them. If they didn't want to come back, save me the trouble. Let's just stone them where they are and be done with it. Paul, Paul says, I, I'm, I'm that guy. That was his job, and that was his passion. And the reason it was his passion is because he thought he was doing it for the glory of God. Hello. He, he was doing it ba based on religion. So this is his passion. So he's not proud of it, but, but he's not trying to hide it. He just brings it up because he wants to help others understand. Our past is the same. It may not be any, oh, it ain't a may not to it. It ain't, it ain't, it ain't, it is not, it ain't. However you want to put it here in Hoganese. It ain't nothing to be proud of, but it is something you can use. If he can do it for me, he can do it for you. I know where you're at. I've been there. Let me tell you where I was. Let me tell you what Christ did for me. That's what the apostle Paul's doing. That there's no doubt that there's many present there that they know exactly what Paul's talking about because they knew Saul. They know the one that Saul's doing it. And he says that that's not enough. If you, if you didn't know me then and you don't know, all you got to do is trot right on down and ask the high priest. He knows exactly who I was. Go right on down there to the Sanhedrin. It wasn't just a few years ago. Go right on down there and talk to the Sanhedrin. They can tell you exactly who I was. They can tell you exactly what kind of man I was. But, anybody glad for the but God moment in your life? But, let me tell you what happened. I, I was on my way to Damascus. He said in verse number 6, it came to pass it as I made my journey. He already told them, I, I'm on my way there to get some people, to make them prisoners, bring them back to Jerusalem. I'm, I'm on my way. I made my journey. was come nigh to Damascus about noon. Suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me, and I fell unto the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He answered and said, who art thou, Lord? He said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. They that were with me saw indeed the light and were afraid. But they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. So Paul says, it's about noon. It, it's pretty much high noon. It's the hottest, brightest part of the day. The sun is at its peak. 
The sun is at its brightest moment. But when the light of the S-O-N sun came on, it's like the light of the S-U-N sun went out. Because the light of the S-U-N sun had no comparison to the light of the glory of the S-O-N sun. I saw a light that when I looked on it, it blinded my eyes. I saw a light that made the sun look like it didn't even exist. I, I saw this uh, amazing light. So, so I, I want, if you, y'all don't mind if I speculate for a minute, do you? It's, it's, if, if it wasn't for our own good, I, I wouldn't. But getting a type A personality like the Apostle Paul to sit down and be still is not going to be an easy thing to do, even for God. Say amen. God can give a type A personality to someone and tell him to sit down and be still, but that don't mean he's going to sit down and be still. Y'all going to have to help me. Paul's a go-getter. He was zealous of the law. He's been zealous serving Christ. Paul is a very zealous man. He wants to go. He ain't into that sit around, hurry up, and wait business. He, he's not the one that, that's going to just get on the clock and wait from 9 to 5 for a paycheck. He's the one that's going to be working at 830. He, he, he's working. So, so Paul, Paul is wanting to, to, to get some things done, but, but God has some things he needs to show the apostle Paul. God had some things he needed to introduce the Apostle Paul to. He had some Christians that he needed to meet in Damascus, but you're not going to get to arrest Ananias and all those others and take them back to Jerusalem. They're going to come help you. God needed to introduce him to some of the other members of the family of God. Now, it says that the other men saw the light too. Isn't that what it said? Isn't that what it said? Y'all read the same text? Then why ain't they blind? So obviously it wasn't just the brightness of the light, it's the intentions of God. There's a purpose in the blindness. And, and so he takes him down there, he blinds Saul. Listen, God can and God will do whatever it takes to sit you down. If God says, be still, God will find a way to get somebody to be still. So Paul says, it's about noon, this great light shone. I fell to the ground, I heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now as far as we know... As far as we know, and, I, and I, I tried reading from several, see if anybody would give any kind of lights, if anybody would give a different opinion, if anybody thinks that nobody has dared stepped out and write it, if anybody thinks that in their commentaries and in their stuff that they ain't been bold enough to put it down, because for everybody I read, nobody thinks that the Apostle Paul ever met Jesus Christ while Jesus walked on, on the planet. He, 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 apparently, he never met him face to face. All we know is that he's about to meet him now. He may not could have been an apostle before because he hadn't met Jesus, but he's about to be an apostle now. And all Paul knows is that the Lord from heaven has shown up, and, and at the first glimpse of the majesty in this light, Saul is blinded. I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecuted. Listen, Jesus of Nazareth was the most hated name in Jerusalem. Jesus of Nazareth is the most hated name among the Sanhedrin council, the Jewish religious elite, the prime, the dudes with the hats and the dress up and all the garb, the ones that led all the people throughout religion. Jesus is, is the most hated name among the people. Saul is on his way to Tarsus to stamp out the name of Jesus, Right? And those that were first called Christians at Antioch, that Christians coming from Christ, Saul's business is to get rid of that name. And Jesus says, 
I'm that guy. The name you think you can get rid of, mm-mm. Ain't happening. Ain't happening. The, the, the name of Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, as, as he uses it here, it, we, we see it seven times here in the Acts of the Apostles. But, but what Jesus says right here is he says, he says I, I'm him. Verse number 10 Y'all remember Sunday, we saw Nicodemus use the word when Jesus said, except a man be born again, he shall not see the kingdom of God. We looked at it Sunday. Nicodemus didn't say why. He said how. Well, we find a word that's a lot like that right here because Saul doesn't say why. He says what. What shall I do? See, see, see that, that, that gets rid of all doubt. At this, at this moment, Saul has, has changed everything. He says what shall I do? And, and then something, to be honest, this is important for, for every one of us as Christians to, to pay close attention to. Jesus did not say, y'all with me? Jesus did not say, I need you to, to go to Jerusalem. He, he didn't say, I, I need you to, to go on over here to Damascus and a man named Ananias is going to heal you. He didn't tell him, from, from there, you're, you're going to go on into a short training period. Je- Jesus didn't take time to say, then you're going to go back to Jerusalem and, and you're going to meet some of the apostles. Jesus didn't tell him, and, and then you're going to go and I'm going to have you, are going to be part of a church at Antioch. And from Antioch, I'm going to call you out along with another man named Barnabas. And I'm going to send you out a missionary into the world. And you're going to make three different missionary journeys. And you're going to preach my gospel to tens of thousands of people. And you're going to see thousands come to Christ. And you're going to establish churches in the city. And then I'm going to bring you back to Jerusalem. And I'm going to have you arrested and beaten close to death right in front of them. But then I'm going to put you in chains. I'm going to make you a prisoner. And I'm going to take you to Rome as a prisoner. And I'm going to use you to reach Rome, the, the, the leader of the world. And I'm going to put you into the Caesar's house, Nero's house. And I'm going to, he, didn't, he didn't say all that. He, he said, I just need you to go to where you're supposed to do. God, God, God said, you go to Damascus and wait. Y'all with me? He doesn't say how long. God ever given you anything to do and he ain't give you when it's going to happen? I remember when God told me what my next mission would be when he pulled me off the mission field and wouldn't let me go back to Costa Rica or Panama or anywhere else, and I was miserable and didn't know what I had done wrong. And I, I remember when God told me what my next mission would be. I wasn't going to be going over there. I was going to be pastoring a church over here. But he didn't tell me when. I'm not sure I wasn't more miserable after he told me waiting than I was before he told me what I was waiting on. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Does God ever give you something to do in a time frame, but you don't know when it's going to be? The Apostle Paul, I don't know how long this is, days, weeks, months, years, I, I don't know. He just says, you, you go there and you wait there and, and I'm going to send somebody to help you out. Now, here's my quote. You ready? Jesus did not reveal the entire plan for Saul's life at the time. But what he did do is make the next step very clear. Hello. That's my quote. Y'all write it down. Y'all didn't write it down. Go back and watch it. You need to write that one down. That's what I want you to get out of this right here. God, the Lord Jesus, did not reveal the entire plan. Wait a minute. He had a plan. Anybody disagree with that? Anybody think Paul is in chains by accident right here? 
Anything Paul, anybody think Paul accidentally went back to Jerusalem? Anybody think Paul got caught off guard that he never should have been in Jerusalem and never should have been arrested? Anybody think that he ended up in Rome against the will of God? So we all agree that God had a plan for Paul, right? But, but right here, he doesn't reveal the entire plan, but what he did make was the next step clearly visible. That's where Christians need to live. We're so busy wanting to know about next year, we ain't got past the day yet. There's still a handful of hours left. God can still do something in the next four hours before the calendar date changes. Tomorrow, tomorrow is way before next week. We're so busy wanting to know what's in the future and what's ahead and what am I going to do. What are you going to do now? God, God, God gives it to us one step at a time, verse number 11. He says, when I could not see for the glory of that light. Well, anybody, anybody excited about seeing that light? <laughs> I couldn't see for the glory of that light. Being led by the hand of the that were with me, I came to Damascus. So Saul, who spent his entire adult life persecuting Christians, persecuting the church, has just met the one that he had been persecuting, and now everything changed. Something else important to see. God didn't, didn't send Saul to Damascus to wait while God decided, what am I going to do with him? God, God didn't send him to Damascus to sit down and think, well, what am I going to do now? I done met this cat on the road to Damascus. Now I got to come up with a plan. No, no, God met him on that road to Damascus on purpose. God already had Ananias up there in the town ready to take care of him. God already had everything lined up. God was already pulling Philip uh, um, out, out of Samaria to send him down the road to, to preach to the Ethiopians so they could send him on up the road to Centraea so that later when the Apostle Paul made this journey back trying to get to Jerusalem, Philip had a house with four daughters there and took care of Paul. God didn't send him to Damascus and make him blind to be still while God figures out what to do with him. God already knew the plan for his life, just like God already knows the plan for yours. And, and, and it may involve some change and imprisonment. It may involve some things. Paul didn't deserve what he's getting here. Anybody, anybody agree with that? Paul doesn't deserve the beatings. He's just preaching the gospel. Paul doesn't deserve the arrest. He's just preaching the gospel. Paul doesn't deserve right here what he got from the Jews. He's just preaching the gospel. But, but God is no different with the apostle Paul than he is with you and I, than he was in Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And, and for Jeremiah, I, I, I ordained thee to be a prophet unto the nations. That was his ordaining. The apostle Paul says, I've already ordained you to, to be a missionary to the Gentile nations. I've already ordained you. It's already there. God has the same thing for every one of us. God, God already has a plan. And here's the reality. He's not going to reveal the plan right now. He's just going to give you the right now step. He's not going to give you the path. He's just going to give you the step. A, a lamp that lights, uh, lights a path into my feet. Uh, when you walk with a lamp that lights a path into your feet, you ain't walking like this because the lamp ain't shining out there. When you're walking and that lamp is a path of light unto my feet, you're walking right here because the light's right here. And that's what God's showing you with his lamp. That's what God's He's showing you the next step. And what God wants you and I to focus on is this step. Do, do this step. Don't worry about tomorrow's step. Don't, don't worry about next year. Don't, don't, don't worry about October. Don't worry about judgment journey. We ain't got past he's alive yet. We ain't even got to he's alive yet. How many people could be snatched out of the fires of hell between now and he's alive? 
How many people can see Christ in your life before we ever get to March 31st? How many people can, 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 you, can you show a Christ-like response to a negative situation and they see Christ in us before we ever get to April 1st? God wants us to take care of this step. And that's what we see in the life of the Apostle Paul. All he knows is that he just met Jesus. And because he met Jesus, somebody have an amen in the house right here. Because he met Jesus, everything changed. <laughs> Whoo, ain't we glad of that. For anybody, I'm going to go ahead and kill it right here at the end. I ain't got time to salvage it back either. I got three minutes. For anybody that claims that they met Jesus and their life didn't change, they need to go back and reevaluate their salvation. For anybody that's hanging on, well, I said a prayer and I got saved and nothing in your life changed inside or outside, you need to go back and reevaluate that prayer because what you said with your lips didn't connect with your heart. Because if Jesus Christ gets in your heart, the Holy Spirit can and will come in and you will be a new creature in Christ. Old things will pass away. You can't deny that. You can't change that. It's book. So, so you can't claim you're a child of God and you met Jesus if nothing in you ever changed. Everything in Saul changed, and he becomes this new creature. Well, we're going to have to pick up right there because i got a minute and a half left. Lord knows that don't give me time to get started on another one. For those of us here, you're here, you're here for a reason. It's Wednesday night. Some of you came because it's important to have your children here, and praise God for that. It is. It's important to have your children here and make sure that they have the gospel preached, make sure they hear the gospel to help you teach your children the gospel to support what you're teaching them at home. That's important. But, but you didn't drop them off down there and go to Walmart while they babysit your children. You came here because you desire to know more about God. You came here because you want to worship God. You came here so that we might study together and we might learn something. And God teach us something and strengthen us as a family and make us one and, and, and make us whole. So, so here, here's the deal that every one of us as Christians need to leave here tonight on this thought. What is it I'm supposed to be doing right now? The Apostle Paul, at this point right here in our text, we've not got past that verse. So what is the Apostle Paul's assignment right now? As we leave, we ain't got past this verse. What? That's a church member calling. I'm going to call that back in a minute. Um, what, what is Paul's assignment right now where we're leaving off? Go to Damascus and wait. Right? But we're leaving Paul in a bad spot. We're leaving a type A personality for a whole seven days. We ain't going to come back and bail him out of this mess. That, that's what his assignment is for now. And until God gives him something else, that's going to be his assignment. That's the same for you and I. What, God, what, what do you want me to do tonight? Can't, man, I'm out of time. God, which way do you want me to go home from church tonight? Do you ever ask that? I know which way to go home. I know which way I always go, and I know every other way is either inconvenient or further or something. But what, what, what if there's trouble on the way you usually go and God wants to save you from it? Or, or what if there's somebody on the other way that you could help? Or, or what if the gas station on the other side of town is where God's telling you to go to get gas? But what you don't know is there's somebody sitting there at that pump that, that they're the pump right next door, and, and they're, they're thinking about going and taking their life, and God's going to use you. to. It, you see the importance of right now? 
tomorrow morning isn't important until we've done what God wants to do tonight. Well, God, thank you so much. God, thank you for being so patient with us. Thank you, God, that you could love somebody like me, some hard-headed, knuckle-headed, type A, always in a hurry, ain't got time to wait. Thank you, God, that you could love me in spite of me. God, thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you for these, your people, God. I pray a hedge of protection around everybody in this place, every family member, God. I pray you'd open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings that there be not room enough to receive it, God. I pray you'd bless everybody in this place. I pray you'd anoint their life, God. I pray you'd make us usable vessels, God. I pray you'd use us on this night. I pray that you'd use us tomorrow, God. I pray that by the time we come in Sunday that you've used us, that somebody in this dark world that needs to see Christ saw Christ in one of us. God, help us, Father, to be pleasing to you. That is our heart's desire, to be pleasing to you. We love you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God.